Our sermon text is taken from Matthew chapter 22. Matthew chapter 22, verses 15 through 22. Matthew chapter 22, 15 through 22. Would you stand as we read this together today? Then the Pharisees went and plotted how to entangle him in his words, and they sent their disciples to him, along with the Herodians, saying, Teacher, we know that you are true and teach the way of God truthfully, and you do not care about anyone's opinion, for you are not swayed by appearances. Tell us then what you think. Is it lawful to pay taxes to Caesar or not? But Jesus, aware of their malice, said, why put me to the test, you hypocrites? Show me the coin for the tax. And they brought him a denarius. And Jesus said to them, Whose likeness and inscription is on this? And they said, Caesar's. Then he said to them, Therefore render to Caesar the things that are Caesar's, and to God the things that are God's. When they heard it, they marveled, and they left him and went away. Heavenly Father, your word is truth, and as we come here today to hear your word, uh, we know that it comes with all authority, not by mine or ours, but by your spirits, to come to, uh, to convict us of our sin and to remind us again of the wonderful grace that we have in Jesus and his shed blood at the cross. Lord, in your name, amen. You may be seated. Back in 2012, um, an 82-year-old amateur painter named Cecilia Gimenez she took it upon herself to restore a 100-year-old fresco painting of Jesus that was at her church. It had kind of fallen into disrepair, was looking kind of dingy, the, the sorts of things that happen as age and time continues on. And she restored this painting. Now, it went viral. The restoration that she did of this, pa this painting was known around the world. People heard about what she had done. And so much so that over 150,000 people came to see this restoration of this painting. Um, in, a, in a way, it saved her community, saved her city. The economic and the tourist uh, revenue that came in was something that was uh, amazing for her community. But the, the interesting thing about this story is people didn't come to see the restoration of this painting because it was so good, but because it was so bad. She did a terrible job. It was awful. It, it did not look anything like the original at all. And people came because they couldn't believe that this was true. Is this really what happened? Is this the, the sort of thing that came about? Now, we might look and think favorably upon the story. It's a, it's a great thing for her community and for her church to, uh, to prosper again and the tourism that came through. But the lesson that we look here is if you want a painting that needs to be restored, to be restored how it ought to be, you don't let an amateur do it. You need a master artist. You need the master to do that restoration. From our text today, we're going to see how the only one who can take our sinful image and restore it to how God intended it to be is Jesus. The first few verses in our text today, uh, starting at verse 15, I'll reread these for us. Then the Pharisees went and plotted how to entangle him. This is Jesus. How to entangle Jesus in his words. They sent their disciples to him along with the Herodians, saying, Teacher, we know that you are true and teach the way of God truthfully, and you do not care about anyone's opinion, for you are not swayed by appearances. Tell us then what you think. Is it lawful to pay taxes to Caesar 
or not. Now this history that we're looking at, this event that took place uh, you know, around 2,000 years ago when Jesus walked on the earth, we can identify a few things from, literary, uh, from literature. We look at a setting. Where were we? We were in the Jewish temple. The protagonist is Jesus, and the antagonists were two groups. We saw the disciples of those Pharisees and the Herodians. Now this, this partnership was really unlikely. The disciples of the Pharisees were very religious. They were interested in Israel and what the Jewish people were all about, so much so that they had created all of these additional laws that people were to follow if they were going to be a good Jewish person and a part of this community. The Herodians, on the other hand, weren't so loyal to the Jewish people. By their name, the Herodians, they were sympathetic to Herod, the, the, the um, Roman government that had been put in place in that area. So these two groups typically that opposed, together, opposed one another came together for this one cause. And we see it in verse 15, plotted how to entangle Jesus in his words. They came together, and this is the question that they asked, is it lawful to give the tax? Is it lawful to pay taxes to Caesar? They thought that there was this this conundrum that Jesus was going to be in, because if he answered, yes, it is lawful, give the taxes you were supposed to, it would make the Pharisees and the Jewish people pretty upset. They were not pleased with having these Roman influence and the Roman government in charge of them and ruling their lives. They didn't like it. And if Jesus were to say, yes, pay your taxes, it would be a a reason and something that the Pharisees could use against Jesus amongst the people. But if Jesus said no, he'd anger the Herodians. He would be teaching against the government. Um, Some would even say it's something as a treasonous against the government that was there, that Jesus was saying, no, we're going to rebel against the government. And here they thought they had him. They thought they had Jesus. This setting, though, reminds me of another story in Scripture, not a a story but a history, something that actually took place. The, The setting was not the temple but the Garden of Eden. The protagonists were Adam and Eve. And here we see from the beginning that God gave something to Adam and Eve as he created them. They gave him God's image. God gave them his own image. In Genesis 1, 26 and 27, we, see, we read, Then God said, Let us make man in our image, after our likeness. So God created man in his own image, in the image of God he created them. In the garden, we could have seen one of the purest forms of what the image of God would have been like, as we saw Adam and Eve. But the story didn't end there, right? There's an antagonist that we're missing, and that was the serpent. It was Satan. He came, he tempted them to doubt in what God had promised them and what God had given to them, this image of God, and they rejected, Adam and Eve rejected God's plan and purpose for his image bearers, all of humanity. They rejected the image of God. This rejection of God's image didn't end with Adam and Eve, but it's passed on from generation to generation. This rejection of God's image is something that you and I struggle with on a daily basis. This is our sin. It runs deep into who we are, is passed on, 
It's like the layers of an onion. When I purchase onions from the store, occasionally you'll get one that on just on the outside is starting to discolor, going a little bad or getting a little rotten. Typically, I'll cut it open and I'll peel off a layer until you get down to the, the better part of the onion. But when it comes to our sin, we can keep peeling layers off, layer after layer. And all we find as we get closer to the center of this onion is more rotten more uh, darkness, more things that are wrong with the onion. We can never find something good on the inside. The sinfulness of humanity that Adam and Eve ushered in that we all are partakers of, rejecting God's image, is something that runs deep. It plays out in our lives in a lot of different ways, this sinfulness, this rejection of God's image. Lust, dishonesty, greed, Apathy or laziness towards God's word and his, his Bible. Rejecting or at least not caring for the church as we ought to be. In our lives, too, we create all sorts of idols, right? Things that we put and that we love and we trust and we care about more than the God who created us. For some, it could be maybe sports or other activities, Maybe it's leisure, rest, relaxation. We idolize that and long for that. We'll, we'll strive after that with our whole being. The culture we live in, consumption, materialism, striving after things or status or material beings, wondering what other people might think of us or, or to uh, boost ourselves to, to, in a state of pride, show ourselves to be better than those who are around us. The opportunities for creating idols in our heart is what this rejection of the image is all about. Instead of letting God be the one who inscribed this image, imprinted this image onto us, we try to make an image of our own. We try to identify ourselves with something we have created and something we have done. Adam and Eve fail to bear God's image, and you and I, fail to bear God's image too. But there is one who succeeded. We'll continue to read in our text from today, Matthew 22, starting at verse 18. But Jesus, aware of their malice, said, Why do you put me to the test, you hypocrites? Show me the coin for the tax. And they brought him a denarius. Jesus said to them, Whose likeness and inscription is this? And they said, Caesar's. And then he said to them, Therefore render to Caesar the things that are Caesar's, and to God the things that are God's. When they heard it, they marveled, and they left him and went away. In verse 18, we see that Jesus calls them out. He knew what they were doing, didn't he? Nothing gets by our Savior. He says, why are you putting me to the test? They knew this wasn't just a simple question, and he calls them hypocrites. As a response, he calls for that coin, a denarius. This would have been the coin that was collected for the tax and for their taxes. And on it, there was an inscription and an image. And this was inscripted in the image of Caesar. It would have had his name, if you were to find coins from uh, history, uh, you would find a Caesar's name inscribed on it. Uh, this began, they started to imprint Caesar's image on it in 44 BC. So just about you know, 40, 50 years before the time that Jesus was born is when this practice began. Uh, Jesus answered with that question, whose image? And they answered Caesar. He then, Jesus, kind of sets up a dichotomy. 
He says them, shows them two different kingdoms, the kingdom of the government and the kingdom of God. He says to the government, whatever has the government's image on it, give that to them. It's theirs. It belongs to them. If you were to take out a coin from, for ours, a, a penny or a quarter or a nickel or even a, a dollar bill, right? we would find someone from our history unique to the United States with their image imprinted on it. It denotes it and is a symbol that says, this belongs to the United States. This is something that is valid here within these borders. And if you were to go to a different country, we would find images of important people to those countries on there. Jesus says, give to Caesar, give to Rome, that which belongs to Rome. Look on that coin, folks. There is Caesar. Give it to him. And he continues on and with this other kingdom. First is the kingdom of the government. The second is the kingdom of God. He says, but whatever is God's, give to God what belongs to him. Jesus took on this image for us. We talked about how God had given the image, his own image. He gave it to Adam and Eve in the garden, and by extension, the intent was to all of us, image bearers of God. Jesus took on an image as well, though, that of sinful man. In Romans 8, verse 3, it says that God sent his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh. The divine, truly God, came to earth and bore our image. He took on the image of sinful man that he might accomplish something that only man could do, atoning for our sins. I'm reminded of uh, the lyrics of the song, O Sacred Head Now Wounded, and it goes like this. How art thou pale with anguish, with sore abuse and scorn? How does that visage languish, which once was bright as morn? At the cross, we see the consequences of our sin, the punishment that was laid upon Jesus, the divine one, the one who bears fully and perfectly the image of God as he took on the image of sinful man. Jesus took on this image of sinful man that he might restore to us the image of God. We've been talking about that painting and that restoration that goes about and there on the cross Jesus, like a, a master artist, was doing his restorative work for us. Through the bloody image of Christ on the cross, Jesus restores to us the image of God. The things of the world, we should give back to the world. All of those things that the world claims as its own, as we interact with them as human beings in this human existence and on this earth, we can enjoy them, we can participate in them, but we don't idolize them. We let the world have those things. But we give to God that which bears his image. Just as Jesus told those people to give the tax. If it has Caesar's image on it, yes, give it to Caesar. Give it to Rome. And here today we realize that you and I have been marked with the image of God. We don't belong to this world. We belong to him. In faith, you bear God's image. It's not imprinted on the surface of a coin, but restored in your heart by faith in Jesus. If you are living in your own image today, one that you have created, something that you've been trying to, to muster up in your own works, 
that image of sinful mankind that has been passed on by Adam and Eve and that we live out in our everyday lives. If we are living and you are living in that image today, I encourage you to give up that sinful image. The call here is to repent, to turn away, and instead believe in Jesus. We turn and believe in the one who bore the image of sinful man on our behalf. We should turn and believe to the one who has carried our sinful image to the cross. Turn and believe in the one who has died and forgiven your sin, and turn and believe in the one who has restored to you the image of God. Turn and believe in Jesus. We lost the image of God at the fall, but it has been restored by Jesus at the cross. Take comfort, O image bearer of God. You belong to Jesus. Lord, we thank you for this, your word. I uh, pray that it will continue to do its work, and we rejoice that you have promised that it will do so. Lord, it does not return void, but accomplishes all that you have for it. In your name we pray. Amen.